Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Well, even as many folks are thinking about turkey and stuffing and green bean casserole and mashed potatoes and more here during this Thanksgiving holiday week, there's still plenty going on for us to talk about surrounding agriculture and farming and ranching. And we're going to dive into some of those stories and conversations here today on AOA, Agriculture of America. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to be with you. Coming up on today's program, we're going to listen back to a few conversations from last week at the NAFB convention in Kansas City, Missouri. Coming up at segment two, we're going to discuss risk management and option strategy with Sean O'Toole from CHS Hedging. In segment three, I sat down for a farm policy conversation with Jonathan Coppice from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. We'll dive into that coming up after the bottom of the hour. And then at the end of the show today, I talked with uh, Mackenzie Billings with the CME Group in Chicago last week at the NAFB convention talking livestock futures and options. And we're going to listen to that interview, that discussion as well, coming up at the end of today's program. Today's AOA brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, like Senex Ruby Fieldmaster and Senex Roadmaster XL. Everyday products powered locally by Senex. Find your nearest Senex location very easily online. Just go to Senex.com. Well, let's kick things off and take a look at a few news headlines and a Reuters report. Javier Millet's election as Argentine president offers an opportunity for quote-unquote radical change in policy for the grains sector. That's according to the country's main rural associations. They said that late on Sunday, offering to work side-by-side with the newly elected libertarian. Now, Argentina is one of the world's top exporters of soy, corn, wheat, and beef. However, its grains and livestock producers have been asking for the elimination of taxes and caps that they blame for crimping grain and meat exports for years. Now, Malay, a far-right libertarian, is pledging to reduce the size of the state and cut taxes. He also wants to eventually close the central bank and dollarize the economy. More radical ideas that he may struggle to implement. Now, according to the Argentine Rural Society, they said in a statement, quote, a great opportunity has opened up to work together to make radical change to the current policies, end quote. Now, the South American country is in a deep economic crisis with triple-digit inflation, an array of capital controls which hurt trade, and a lack of foreign currency reserves. Cana Agro, another of the major agricultural associations in Argentina, said in a statement that, quote, we are at the beginning of a new stage, which we hope will bring well-being to all Argentines, end quote, as they congratulated the president-elect. Meanwhile, the Argentine Rural Confederations called for Malay to work with the farm sector and demanded tax deregulation. So a lot of folks watching closely as Javier Malay has been elected as the president in Argentina and a lot of the Argentine ag groups and rural associations supporting his victory and I know in the uh, markets, uh, as far as the soy complex is concerned, the, a lot of folks are going to be watching what's happening in Argentina pretty closely as he's pledged to remove Argentine export taxes and pin the Argentine economy to the U.S. dollar, as I mentioned. And that could be a bit bearish uh, for the soy complex as it would lower the cost of Argentine exports to the rest of the world. So uh, a bit of a longer-term thing to keep an eye on uh, and definitely newsworthy, uh, something to watch as we move forward.
while agricultural credit conditions in the Kansas City Fed's 10th district softened during the third quarter of 2023. Farm income and loan repayment rates were lower than a year ago for the second straight quarter. Now, the moderation was more pronounced in areas hit hardest by drought, but more tempered in areas most concentrated in cattle production. Now, conditions have weakened slightly following two years of significant improvement that continue to support loan performance. Despite softening farm finances and substantially higher interest rates, agricultural real estate values in the region remained firm. Now, the ag economy softened in recent quarters alongside a moderation in commodity prices. Together with elevated production costs, a drop in the price of many key products during the past year has likely reduced farm income in 2023. Now, despite softening incomes with high interest costs, ag loan performance has remained solid with ongoing support from strong finances during the past two years. Well, trade is always an important topic for agriculture. Alexis Taylor, USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Forward Agricultural Affairs, says commodity trade doesn't just support farmers. In 2021, U.S. agricultural exports supported more than 1.2 million jobs and generated nearly $190 billion in additional economic activity. That economic activity is not only critical to supporting the livelihoods of our farmers and ranchers, but the communities that they are living in. USDA is committed to opening new markets and reducing and eliminating trade barriers for U.S. producers. She said last week at the NAFB convention that it's important to educate people outside of agriculture on the benefits of ag trade. One priority area for the administration is to build trust with and within the global trading system. While everyone at this meeting may acutely understand the benefits of trade that trade brings to the agricultural sector, not everyone necessarily in the United States nor around the world does. And those benefits have not necessarily been felt equally amongst all parts of the agricultural sector. This is why in my first year in this position, I've been committed to creating new market opportunities worldwide for our producers, exporters, agribusinesses. In many cases, opening and developing new markets does take a lot of time. Market development does not happen overnight, and sometimes it can take decades of engagement. I often think about trade as like victory by inches, but we have already seen some results from the efforts that we have undertaken. A few others I wanted to highlight is after decades of work, we've been able to expand to full market access for potato exporters into Mexico. Also, in February of this year, I met with Vietnamese government officials as we finalize access for U.S. grapefruit to the Vietnamese market. And again, that is USDA's Alexis Taylor. Well, farmland prices continued rising throughout 2023. Randy Dickoot, farmland sales specialist with Agricultural Economic Insights, says rising prices were a little surprising given the economic conditions. With the issues of higher input costs, higher interest rates, challenges to farm income outlook for the year as we started it, you know, it slowed the market down and everybody thought it would stabilize the best, maybe soften some. And really what we saw was that happened, but it stayed more stable. Even the bidding as we went through the year, summer and here in the fall, the bidding on farmland has been very strong. You know, there aren't as many bidders, but they're still bidding for those fewer farms that are coming up for sale. While the overall number of buyers may have shrunk this year, he says they're still motivated when farms come up for sale. With the interest rates, everybody's thinking, you know, they're they will affect it, but they haven't yet. So I think the year so far really surprised people that it was as good and strong. There weren't really that many records, although there were a few that won in North Dakota. But you know, all you need is two people wanting that farm, and it'll go for more than you would ever thought. 
And he says many buyers had cash to spend that was built up over the last several years. Yes, I think, you know, that's part of it. There are several good years. Those that do well saved up that cash. And if they have, they're going to buy equipment or a farm with that cash. For a farmer owning that farm that comes up for sale next to him once every three or four generations is really a key, especially if you've got a generation that's going to continue farming. And once again, that is Randy Dickhoot with Agricultural Economic Insights. More information, you can find it online at aei.ag. All right, coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. We're going to head back to the NAFB convention last week in Kansas City, Missouri. I had a uh, great discussion discussing uh, risk management and option strategy and more with Sean O'Toole from CHS Hedging. We'll listen into that conversation coming up after the break as we're back with more AOA right after this. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of the Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for the Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now, cancer research is saving lives. Cancer research funded by the V Foundation is leading to new discoveries and new treatments. And ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. 
Learn more at v.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Last week at the NAFB convention in Kansas City, Missouri, had a chance to sit down and talk about marketing and risk management with Sean O'Toole from CHS Hedging. Here is that interview. Sean, good to uh, sit down and have a conversation with you. Hope you're doing well. Doing well. Good to see you, Jesse. Let's uh, just first, before I, I really want to talk to you uh, about some of the tools in the toolbox here and risk management and options and et cetera, et cetera. But just to kind of set us up, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in these grain and livestock markets. We've obviously gotten past the November WASDE report. We got some of those bigger yield numbers for the U.S. Um, we've been having some South America weather troubles that have kind of fueled this soybean market, especially here as of late. Uh, what's your general take on, on just how this market is trading here right now as we head towards Thanksgiving? Well, I think I'll start out by saying that we we got through the reports with really, uh, we, we, we damaged the soybean market pretty substantially the day of the report on uh, numbers that were not strong. Uh, the, the, the corn market was, was already at, at lows. We couldn't take it a lot lower, so we really didn't beat it up as badly. But we beat the bean market up pretty hard. Turned around right out of the gate, following day and began to 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 uh, to build on it and uh, the South American weather market within a couple of days had really overtaken us and we're back to trading weather in South America uh, it looks just like a, a, a July day in, in uh, a July day in the Midwest uh, uh, down there right now it's uh, very dry in the north uh, we are anticipating some moisture the six to tens came out today looking at moisture coming in early next week that may give us a little bit of relief. But uh, dare I say drought in, in South America right now, it's looking pretty rough. And uh, that's got our bean market really hopping, more so than the corn market. It's got the bean market hopping. Additionally, today, the NOPA crush numbers came out with uh, a record crush for the month of October in mm-hmm. uh, a, a sizable uptick from the, the previous month as well. Uh you know we're in a we're 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 in a situation where the beans I, I think uh, we're up against some res- trend resistance here that is uh, uh, caused I think the markets to turn around a little bit today. But you know you've got when was the last time that you saw the the the, uh, the soybean market in a carry, but both products, both meal and oil, yeah. converted. Which I I I brought up a chart today of the 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 January crush versus the July crush. And it's a dollar wide. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, they're paying you to get this stuff crushed now. Move on it now. The products are inverted. You got to sell the meal. You got to get it moving while we've got a carry in the bean market. It, I've, just, mm-hmm. I, I've seen it where there's a, a carry in the bean market and, and, and you'll get one component. Typically, meal will invert, but the, the oil market will be carry as well. This time, it's the, uh, the, it's, we're all scratching our heads. Yeah, we are all scratching our heads. In terms of, of beans, maybe trying to lead corn here a little bit, we got a lot of corn out there, not only in the U.S., but in the world. Corn tried to rally early this week with beans, and then it looked like we were putting a key reversal in these corn, and then that kind of faltered midweek. Are you worried that 
soybeans just don't have enough of bullish story to kind of pull little brother corn in this case along with it here we could maybe go back down and set some new lows in corn here sean we could set new lows in corn i think it really depends upon the beans i think you're right there and i think uh really we we uh, the the upcoming weeks and weather are going to be the real telltale to see what happens there and, and to whether we can drag it up but you know look at where we are in the calendar i mean we're coming up on thanksgiving we almost always find some kind of a bottom between between early November and, and, and early December, and we begin some kind of a year-end rally. Uh, you know, we have hope that we can we can build something into this marketplace, but we are coming off three very strong years. Mm-hmm. And and if you look at a, a chart of it right now, it, it really does look like a market like the wheat market looks like right now. They can they look like they want to go lower. Yeah, no, great, great points. Let's shift the conversation to risk management here a little bit. Uh, And two, I know we have December options expiration coming up, and that could be fairly volatile. Um, That's something I think that a lot of producers need to think about here in the short term. But in the long term, as we're nearing the end of the year, marketing, risk management, I know from your background, there's there's a lot of tools in the toolbox that we can use to help market our grain and protect our risk. Talk about some of the things that producers should be thinking about right now in terms of risk management. Well, options are always in the toolbox. And at this time of year, options are starting to get, starting to get cheap. Just historically, the calendar tends to drive options volatility down. So options premium is, is at low levels. Not going to say we're record lows, but we're down close to record lows of volatility. <clears throat> and so, just flat out options purchases. Uh, what, what, for instance, what one thing farmers should be looking at right now is they need to look at their interest rate costs. And for the first time in a lot of years, interest rate costs are a factor in in, in farming. It's a factor in in running an elevator. The grain business is thinking interest rates for the first time in a lot of years. If you think about what storage costs are, let's say you're just going to go in and, and, and sell DP, and uh, you know you're, you got a drop charge plus you got a monthly probably after the first of the year, you need to look at what that looks like relative to just putting a floor in this market. What does it cost to just step up and, and, and uh, uh, sell the crop, buy a call? You've effectively put a crop, you've, you've put a floor in the market at that point in time and you've opened yourself to some upside. And it's cheap relative mm-hmm. to uh, to what it has been in past years. We're at levels about the same level we were last year, but it's been cheap the last couple of years. I mean, at this time of year, that's that that's a good solid strategy. If somebody doesn't want to spend the money on an option, uh, it's not a bad time to buy a collar where you're buying a put and, and and selling a call above the market. In such a structure, what you're effectively going to do is you're setting the worst price you're going to get on that option, and you're setting the best price. Uh, you, you may be exercised into a short position in futures at that sold call level at that strike, or if you, if you pass through to the downside, you're going to exercise that put and take a short position in the market. Your, your area of, <clears throat> of, of uh, flexibility in the market is going to be between those two strikes. At this time of the year, I certainly wouldn't be out there aggressively selling calls against such a position. Uh, you get into uh, once the volatility bumps up in the spring, uh, then there are opportunities to to uh, you know perhaps sell a second call along with that mm-hmm. and and uh, do a two for one and potentially give up some more bushels. Uh, the other thing to think about is is uh, 
talk to your elevator about uh, about specialty contracts. Uh, you know, contracts that have some sort of a premium price attached that have some obligations. Perhaps uh, you have a double up feature. Uh, perhaps you uh, have the potential to be triggered out of that contract if it drops, if the market drops to a particular level. But I think most farmers should be looking at a, a percentage of their, you know, 10, 20% of their crop uh, into specialty contracts. And you can talk to your elevator operator about that and, and uh, uh, they'll help you understand what uh, what you need to know. Uh, that's the key, though. I mean, farm marketing. I, I always like to say mm-hmm. that show me a show me a, a successful farmer, and I'll show you a successful farm marketer. And uh, there are a lot of tools in the toolkit, and we it's 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 exchange traded options. It's structured structured products uh, uh, at the elevator, uh, and there's nothing wrong with just good old fashioned average price contracts. You know. If uh, if the farmer were to sell grain 52 weeks out of the year, same amount, you'd have a pretty good year. Doing nothing is not a great marketing plan. And some folks may disagree with me saying they've done it for a long time. But one thing I've learned here over the years, talking with folks like yourself, that all those tools that are in the toolbox, doing nothing is a lot more dangerous than picking up the phone, calling somebody and asking the questions and doing something and having some sort of plan in place to market your grain. Absolutely. Doing nothing is a strategy, just not a very good strategy. And there's there, there's help out there, whether it's talking to your local commodity broker, whether it's talking to a farm marketing person. There are a lot of great farm marketing services out there. Uh, I know guys that that uh, that pay two, three, four different farm marketers because they want a lot of opinions. They want they want to talk to people, and uh, uh, that's that's. I don't think that's ever bad money spent. No, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. It, it just makes sense to you know, be smart and protect your operation and your investment so you can keep feeding the world. I think that's that's what it comes down to, right, Sean? That's right. Any other final thoughts, anything else before we wrap up? Uh, we got about a minute here. Just as you're watching grains or, or thinking about risk management, anything else you would share or reiterate for folks today? Well, I think I'll just reiterate the one, the one piece, that interest rates are really a thing right now. Yeah. And uh, be aware of that. And, and when, when you look at what, what DP charges are, look at the cost of a just just look at an option. You know, if, if you sell the you sell the grain and, and, and reown through the, the, the purchase of a call, uh, it's relatively cheap. It's a few months of, of uh, a few two, three, four months of, of, of DP time and you have a floor. You don't have a floor when you put down DP. Good thoughts. Director of Commodity Brokerage with CHS Hedging, Sean O'Toole. Thanks for joining us here at the NAFB convention. We appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks again. Thanks, Jesse. All right, up next, another interview from last week at the NAFB convention. We're going to talk farm policy with Jonathan Coppice from the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. That's next on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. Back with more right after this. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home? and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. 
Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call for closure protection services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this Market Update. Grains and oil seeds are mostly higher this morning, save for Kansas City wheat that is just slightly lower. Livestock is also mixed with hogs lower. Now the grain trade seems to be uncertain about its stance on Brazilian dryness currently, and understandably so, as Brazil is a massive country and it's in the midst of a very different recent weather pattern split between north and south. Commodity Weather Group still expects good rains this week for dry center west soybean regions, along with reduced temperatures, though concerns remain overall as chances shift back to the south next week. January beans have posted bullish moves now to start each of the last three weeks, but have ultimately closed lower by the last two subsequent Friday afternoons. Now, the market is on a reduced time frame this week due to the Thanksgiving break on Thursday, and with a slightly shortened session on Friday, we'll have to see how they end up. U.S. soybean harvest is virtually done after last week's crop progress had shown 96% of the crop harvested. Last week's U.S. soybean inspections were decent at 59 million bushels, but were still a six-week low with total inspections off about 8% versus a year ago. Now, U.S. soy export sales are moving in the right direction, but to date trail last year by about 21%. And up until just recently, it has been Brazil that is the primary exporter, with China's October soy imports from Brazil up 71% from a year ago. Domestically, the crush incentive does remain very high, with cash crush margins set to range from 3 to $4 per bushel in much of the Midwest. U.S. soybean product demand is expected to remain stout, with soy meal export sales and soybean oil domestic demand running at a good clip. After a strong session yesterday, the Dow Jones is down about 100 points. The dollar continues to leak lower, and crude oil prices are a few dimes off currently. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand in hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind, to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward-thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for sticking with us here on AOA Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation power to perform. Well, last week at the NAFB convention in Kansas City, sat down and had an ag policy discussion with Jonathan Coppice, ag policy professor at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Here is that interview. Great to sit down and talk to you about some things going on in agriculture and mainly the farm bill right now. That's been a, a hot topic here the last few days as we 
Got an extension of the 2018 farm bill. We got this CR to fund the government through January. Um, so giving us a little more time here. What's your thoughts on, on just that 2018 farm bill extension and, and what the main things producers need to keep in mind, I guess, with that extension here for a couple of months? Or, well, I should say for a year, technically. Yeah, right. So the the key, I think, we'll start with the farmer perspective on this first. And the key is that uh, we've got an extension for the next crop year. So farmers trying to sort through the agriculture risk coverage and price loss coverage decision. Uh, we'll have that sign up again in March and everything will look just like it was uh, for the last five years. So that kind of takes some of that uncertainty out of the discussion. And as you mentioned, from the congressional perspective now, we've opened up a year's, another year of, of, of negotiations and work, um, some, some pretty key work periods in 2024. Of course, you know, we've got, uh, we've got a campaign season that's going gonna, gonna to consume a whole lot of time and focus. So it's not a normal legislative kind of year. It's going to be very difficult. And I think the other thing that we have concerns about is just we've, we've not seen any progress in the last year on, on the committee level, which is normally at least you'd have seen some progress hopefully there. And just, you know, the floor at the, on the Senate, the floor in the House are always going to be a big challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to not have seen much, much movement on the negotiation side is concerning. So we've got a quick, you know, probably a good work period here early in the, in the year. Uh, and then I think we were looking at, you know, the potential for the uh, – maybe lame duck session after the elections to kind of wrap everything up, maybe finish off conference negotiations. Sure. And that's that's kind of the, the thought that I've gotten from talking with folks here in the last few days as well. You get into a presidential election year, it's silly season, and, and who knows what could happen. I know uh, Chairwoman Stabenow on the Senate side has even said here in, the, in recent days she feels like there's a lack of urgency to get a new five-year farm bill done. Does, do you feel like that's the case as you look at things and talk with folks, Jonathan? I, I think there there's a lack of you know that that drive urgency is mm-hmm. probably maybe a good way to look at it as well. Look, we we're coming off two years of just incredible incomes, record high incomes for farmers. We've seen high crop prices, dealing with high costs. Like there's a lot going on, and so I think and we've seen this throughout history. Uh, these 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 moments when you see prices uh, on the upswing are still high above kind of. Uh, um, average levels, uh, it, it's kind of a, it's hard to really motivate mm-hmm. around a bill. Uh, and I think some of this is also just the the challenges in Congress. I mean, we, we've never seen a House of Representatives like what we've seen in the last year. Very and I true. think, you know, a lot of people who don't uh, spend their time and sanity following this very closely um, kind of recoil. And it's sort of like, what, what do we expect to even happen, mm-hmm. given what we see going on or what we read about going on? And so, I think those things combined right now really, really kind of, uh, I think, put a challenge on on the let's get something done. Here's what we think we need to see. Sure. Well, and you brought up the House, and uh, obviously we have our, our the hardline congressional Republicans there, and there's a lot of ongoing, not just the farm bill, but a lot of other things in terms of wanting to cut budgets and and funding the government, and you know the the fight in the farm bill to you know, there's really no new money out there, it feels like, for the farm bill. And I know you, you've you uh, had some new research pointing to some, some folks looking to eliminate some of the IRA investment in the farm bill as well and some of those USDA conservation programs. I mean, that just seems to be, I feel like that's going to be a big challenge here and a big lift is the fact that it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of money out there for a new farm bill. And there's some folks who want to take even more out of the farm bill. Is that right? 
That's correct. I mean, the Farm Bill is a big, you know, uh, yeah. legi- legislative behemoth, 12 titles, you know, maybe a thousand pages of legislation text. And and it's got a 10-year score that runs over a trillion dollars for, for 10 years. So it, it's a big bill. And so, yes, anytime we've seen, historically, we've seen this pressure to cut spending, particularly when you have like this this sort of factional demand that we just, you know, cut down as much government as possible and spending as possible, that is a real challenge, particularly on the House floor. Um, inside the committees, and, and what I've been sort of struggling with as we try to unpack why we've seen so little progress on negotiations and sort of what are the demands, what are the competing priorities that are out there, we've not seen anything solid other than this sort of news reports around raising reference prices or some sort of generic conversations about let's increase the price triggers for, the, for one of the programs. But, you know, we've, we've not seen how much it's going to cost. And some of the talk is that we would sacrifice some of the conservation investments the Inflation Reduction Act uh, made a year ago to offset those things. And, mm-hmm. and it, you know, I, it's one of those things where you, uh, you, you just struggle to kind of make sense out of why that would why that's the, the path. To your point, there isn't, uh, there isn't new money. Um, there is, you know, what, 60, almost $70 billion in that mm-hmm. Title I 10-year mm-hmm. scoring estimate. And so there's a lot of dials that could, could be turned and worked on. But we seem to have kind of uh, hit this impasse in putting even the committee-level uh, proposal together because we want to take from one bucket and put it in another. And, sure. you know, those, those politics never are easy when you're staring at even bigger problems outside of the committee that mm-hmm. it gets even more difficult to do that and i wonder too we always hear about kind of the farm versus food fight in the farm bill um in terms of snap funding and more and that takes up a, a large chunk of every farm bill i wonder if that fight could get a little more amplified here in the months ahead as folks are trying to find ways to you know cut spending i'm very worried that it will and we have some uh we have some painful uh, lessons on that just from the last two farm bills. So in 2013, the House voted down the farm bill over this. Uh, and that was the first time we saw a House loss since 1962, before we even had the food stamp program in the 60s. So you can kind of get a sense of how, when that coalition really works, it's, it's, it's quite powerful uh, in the House and Senate uh, chambers. But you start ripping it apart, and you you really do complicate passage. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a big concern um, that that you're right that that this focus just looks at the big number for SNAP and says we got to cut, we got to cut, we got to cut. And I you know you start digging into this, and you got to wonder we got more than 40 million Americans who need help putting food on the table. And so how is it that we're you know we're missing that point to just try to score some budget savings, uh, and I I feel like when you get into that discussion you get lost on this and it just it tears tears apart the coalition it breaks down the ability to get good policy through. Yeah, I I think uh, maybe one of the good things here is that all four leaders on the Senate Ag Committee, House Ag Committee, they they are have said they are very committed to getting a new five-year farm bill done. I know they've been out across the country here this past year trying to uh, solicit input from farmers and ranchers and folks throughout rural America. And and so I I feel like that there is the folks in charge who want to get something done and also have been here before to try and get something done, especially Senator Stabenow and Senator Bozeman. 
Yeah, I think it's one of the most important things that the committees do get to do. The leadership gets to sort of uh, 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 take on and, and work through is this yeah. getting out into the field and hearing from producers, hearing from consumers, getting a sense of what some of the issues are more locally, more regionally. Um, and I think they get a lot of really valuable feedback on that. And, and I hear you. I, I think uh, we've got some experienced legislators. I think there's a real uh, interest in getting it done. I think we just have these sort of cross pressures, you know, whether it's the Freedom Caucus in the House, whether it's the mm-hmm. fight for reference prices, a fight over conservation dollars and, and SNAP funding. Like you, we have these cross pressures that really make it difficult to, to move forward. And, you know, we're, we're going to have to figure that out. And at some point, we got to see some real concrete proposals. What are the real asks on the table? What do they really cost? And how do we get there? And until we see that, we're, we're just, you know, stuck at the starting line, right? We're not, we're, not yeah. even, we're not even getting this process underway to see what it would be like on the House or Senate floor. We talked about this earlier. You mentioned that we could maybe see this get into a lame duck type of session after the presidential election uh, in 2024. Do you worry that uh, we got the one-year extension and with all the, the partisan fighting and things that are going on in D.C., do you worry that this could drag on into 2025 even? What, what's your thoughts there, Jonathan? <laughs> I definitely, for my own, sa- my own sanity's sake, <laughs> I definitely worry about uh, still having these conversations <laughs> a year, year and a half from now. Um, and, and when I worked in D.C., the farm bill I worked on took three years in two different Congresses. So mm-hmm. it, it is extraordinarily stressful on everybody involved, and it is an enormous amount of work that goes into this. I mean, we see what gets in the news headlines, right? We don't see the 20-hour days that staff put in trying to dot every I and cross every T in yeah. legislative text. And so it is an incredible amount of work, and you, you, you ramp it up and shut it down, ramp it up and shut it down. And so... It, it's a lot to, to undertake. But I do, you know, beyond that, I think we've seen this long history, 90 years that we've been doing farm policy in, this, in some shape or form of what we have now. And it is another indicator of how, how much dysfunction we're seeing in the Congress that you can't pull together that sort of bi, the traditional bipartisan, by region, you know, the multi-regions looking from the urban uh, communities all the way down to to our farm gate, you know, why are we not able to work these things out? And, and we get stuck time and again in this. And it's, it's a concern. It's, a, it's sure. another indicator of just this concerning dysfunction we have in our governing system. And, you know, we, we can't get this one done. I, I don't believe that it, it, it gives us much confidence in a whole lot of other things that Congress needs to work on. And that is extraordinarily unfortunate, way beyond farm bill issues, because, you know, we're a self-governing society, which means mm-hmm. we got to govern ourselves. And if, if our do. elected officials are not doing it, well, then, then, then what's going on? Then we're stuck. Exactly. We're in a real bad spot. So exactly. Not an easy conversation. Once again, that's Jonathan Coppice with the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign talking with him last week at the NAFB convention in Kansas City. We'll be back with more here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, on the way right after this. Times of transition, whether from a sad event or a joyful one, can leave us feeling adrift. Social connections are an important part of a healthy life. Being isolated and lonely can be harmful to your health. It can lead to high blood pressure, a greater risk of heart disease, and early onset dementia. So it's important to build and maintain connections to people, not just in your family, 
but others whose relationships bring meaning to your life. Trying a new hobby, volunteering, exercising, even using your phone or other device to stay in touch with others. All these can be great ways to keep up your social connections and your physical and mental well-being. Visit connecttoeffect.org to see if you're at risk of social isolation and find ways to get connected. Presented by AARP Foundation with support from United Healthcare. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Great vision doesn't require great sight. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Make your impact today. Donate now at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Mandy Hunnicky, Communications Director with Crystal Valley Cooperative, about how her co-op is fighting food insecurity this winter and holiday season. Mandy, why does Crystal Valley Cooperative support nonprofit organizations in your Mankato, Minnesota area? We know that it's extremely important to support our local communities. Some of those programs that we do support are, you know, going to be focused on the egg education and awareness, basic community support. But we're really passionate about food insecurity in our areas because it's just as big of a problem in the rural areas as it is in those urban areas. Well, tell us about Feeding Our Communities Partners and how Crystal Valley Cooperative has supported the organization. Feeding Our Communities Partners, or FOCP, is a backpack program here in the Mankato area. It also provides services in the surrounding communities where we're based as well. The program provides meals to food insecure children by discreetly placing it in backpacks of elementary students and providing campus cupboards, I guess is what you would refer to them as, and other programs in the middle school and high school arena. So we've helped out not only financially, but by also packing those food packs that they deliver to students. And we've also helped with deliveries within our communities. Well, Mandy, why is it important to address food insecurity during the holidays and winter months? I'm a parent myself, and I understand that at the holidays, things get really tight, right? You want to give gifts, and you want to show your appreciation, and you want to do all those things. And so your budgets get really tight, and oftentimes that for families can mean trade-offs. And a lot of times that means food, and that's where FOCP comes in and fills those gaps. We've been talking with Mandy Hunnicky, Communications Director with Crystal Valley Cooperative, this week on Around the Table. Mandy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle 
running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesels like Cenex Roadmaster XL and Ruby Fieldmaster. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Well, as I mentioned uh, here this week, we're going to be listening back to uh, a lot of the uh, conversations that I had at the NAFB convention in Kansas City here this past week as we had more conversations that we could fit into a couple of days. So sharing those with you here the next uh, few episodes of AOA. And I had a chance to sit down with Mackenzie Billings to talk about livestock futures and options with the CME group. Here is that interview. Having a conversation now with Mackenzie Billings. She is the manager of livestock futures and options products at the CME Group. And Mackenzie, thank you for joining us here during the convention. Hope you're doing well. Absolutely. Thank you. So let's talk first record or participation in live cattle markets. Um, we're getting into calving season. We've seen drought conditions. We've seen a lot of economic uncertainty yet. We have this record participation going on right now. Absolutely. Talk about that for us a little bit. What are we seeing? Absolutely. I think, you know, where we're at currently in the cattle cycle, we've got really interesting things happening in this cattle cycle that have not necessarily been along the lines of typical seasonal trends. Um, mm -hmm. uh, in addition to the fact that we've got a lot of other outlying factors that are hitting us, right? We've got wars, we've got inflation, um, so and, and high input costs to top it all off, right? Yeah. Then you add in weather um, and massive droughts we've had. Um, so there's just been a lot of uncertainty. And when you have a lot of uncertainty, you find folks sleep better at night when they come in and they utilize futures and options or even insurance products mm -hmm. um, just to kind of help them level that playing field a little bit so it's not so volatile for them. Yeah, and you think about the fact that I mean, we're going to have to rebuild this cattle herd and more and there's just, there is a lot of that uncertainty and I think uneasiness out there amongst farm and ranch country right now, Mackenzie. Oh gosh, absolutely. Um, you, you see all this uncertainty. You see the frustration. Mm -hmm. um, and being able to provide them with some tools that help them manage that yeah. is extremely important. Um, and I think that's why we're seeing record participation in our mm -hmm. markets, particularly in options. And it's not just live cattle, right? We're seeing it in the feeder cattle complex as sure. well. Um, you know, and I mean, we've, we've seen the highest average daily volume trade volume in feeder cattle than we have ever seen, mm -hmm. um, which is just astounding to see a, a, a smaller niche market take off the way it has. Um, so it's, it's been really fun to watch, um, but it also is telling you that We've got some uncertainty out there that needs to be managed. Let's talk about managing that risk a little bit more and, and talk a little more the technical nitty gritty, some of those tools that are in the toolbox. Because I think for the amount of you know producers, the record or participation that is out there that they're using these tools, there's still just as many that aren't using the tools, mm -hmm. don't know how to use the tools. You know, when you talk to them about hedging cattle, they 
you know, they, they stay away <laughs> from a lot of that because they don't know how to use things. So yeah. what are some of the, the top products, things in the toolbox that you see that folks are using? What exactly are they right now? So there's a couple ways you can do it. If you've never participated in the futures market, there, there's a several ways. You can always come to our website. We've always got some great educational materials. Um, you can come in and, and learn at your pace. We also have um, an industry-wide um, organization or an initiative that uh, puts together what we call Futures Fundamentals. It is also uh, available on the on the websites, and you can access that and, um, again, take classes and courses at, at, your, at your leisure. If you are actually looking to participate, I always recommend seeking out your local broker. Um, there are agricultural brokers around the country, yep. um, and you can always come to the CME website. We do have a find a broker section, too. So if you're looking for someone in your area, you can always kind of populate that. Um, but it's really important to have a broker. Uh, they will help you maintain maintain what you are trying to accomplish, right? Mm -hmm. um, they will help you facilitate the trades. They will help you um, make trading decisions if needed. Sure. Um, they will help you manage that. So it's it's not definitely not something to be done alone. Um, and so we will always recommend that you find a broker. Well, and there's a lot of different things out there too, you know, versus just, you know, saying, all right, I'm taking the cattle to the sale barn and being done with it. You know, the chance to lock in a hedge and mm -hmm. reown through futures. There's there's so many different things that folks can do that I think just sometimes they they don't do them because uh, like I mentioned earlier they don't it's know how to use it. It's a lot it's a of lot, information yeah. mm -hmm. and there's you, there's so many different things that are in that toolbox you don't know exactly what to use. Absolutely. So I always say, look, have your marketing plan. Um, understand what your marketing plan is and what your goals are. Definitely. That, that is first and foremost, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, simply just taking things to the sale barn and, and crossing your fingers and, and, you know, hoping you walk out of there with a check is, exactly. is um, not a marketing plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so understanding that, having that plan, and then going to a broker, walking them through what you'd like to accomplish. They can then turn around and help you and say, look, you have price exposure here let's maybe think about some of these options, whether that be an option trade or whether that be a futures trade. It may even be insurance. Um, they all work together. Um, they all um, are utilizing similar data. They are um, allowing you to lock in prices and at your comfort level mm -hmm. and at your price point. It's kind of like, uh, you know, the corn market. Some folks might just lock the corn in the bin and leave it until they have to sell it. Well, you can only leave that cow out in, out in the pasture yep. so long before you got to do something. So having a marketing plan is, is very, very it's, important. It's essential. It and, is absolutely essential. And like you said, you guys have a lot of great information online for folks to check out if they have questions, want to learn more, and then ability to contact their, their brokers near them as well. Again, mm -hmm. what's that website where they could find more info? Uh, you can go to cmegroup.com. Fantastic. It is a large website. Uh, you can always, uh, if there's something specific you're looking for, um, you can always just Google it. That's always one of the sure. things I recommend is just write CME group and then Google what you're looking for. And that's a good way to do it. <laughs> I would agree with that. Mackenzie Billings, Manager of Livestock Futures and Options Products at the CME Group. Thank you for joining us here today during the NAFP convention. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
And once again, that is Mackenzie Billings for the CME Group. Talked with her last week at the NAFB convention in Kansas City. Coming up on tomorrow's program, more conversations from the NAFB convention. We'll talk with Dr. Paul Sundberg from the Swine Health Information Center. We'll discuss probiotics in our cattle and more with Dr. Steve Lerner from Christian Hansen. CoBank out with a new elevator report. Tanner Emke will join us for the latest on that, and we'll try to take a dive into the market trade as well ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday. That's all coming up on tomorrow's AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Thanks for listening. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just gotta hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. <laughs> no, you hold my hand. Here we go. <laughs> Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. I learned patience from my adoptive dad. All he had to say was, Hey, you got this. Just breathe. <sighs> hey. <laughs> We're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Might have to start a band. <laughs> I got it. Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. <laughs> Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. This message is brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.